Good morning to everybody. Uh, I don't know most of you. Uh, I have been in a, lived in Meeker since fifth grade, I think, we moved here. I left in 2011, went to New Orleans, and went to seminary, and then lived in central Louisiana for another three years after that. So we were out, we were away for, for seven years from Oklahoma, but we're back home, back in the community where I grew up in, where my wife grew up in. Turn it up a little bit. Um, but we enjoy being back, and so as we're looking to get back involved in community and spending time and sharing go- the gospel with people in the community locally. Um, I have a wife and seven kids. Um, it's a big family. Uh, my wife homeschools them all, so she has the hardest job of the family. Um, I teach middle school math at Meeker for the for my job. It's fun doing that. But I thought they have a message that God laid upon my heart for all of us. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys know today is Flag Day um, and what that means. I hadn't really didn't really know a whole lot about Flag Day until I looked it up this past week to see kind of what it is. And so we have flags. We have lots of flags everywhere we go, right? We have flags here on the stage, the American flag, the Christian flag. Um, when we're driving down the road, we see a lot of different flags. We see the Oklahoma flag. We see Oklahoma Sooner flags, Oklahoma State Cowboy flags. If we're lucky, we see a Tennessee Volunteer flag. Um, sorry, I'm a, I'm a Tennessee fan. But, but we, we see all kinds of flags that represent different things. Every country has their own flag. Cities have their flags. Um, each sports team has their own flag, right? So these flags all come to mean something. They, they represent different things. There's political flags. Um, there's really just about a flag for just about anything you can think of. There's probably a flag that somebody made for it, right? And what those flags represent is it's something that people believe in, something they identify with or something they want to be a part of. Um, and so in the beginning of the founding of our country, George Washington noticed something as he was going off into battles that each individual state at the time had their own flag. And so they were fighting under different flags. And so he saw an issue with that. He wanted it to be a commonality. So on June 14, 1777, shortly after... Well, less than a year after we formed our country, the Second Continental Congress stopped what they were doing where they were working on all the important bills and everything. They stopped and they said, we got to come up with something that we can be united together. So on June 14, 1777, the Second Congress, Continental Congress voted for a new flag for the newly formed Union. It was to have 13 red and white stripes alternating in color. And it was supposed to have 13 white stars on on a blue field. And that was to stand for a new constellation that was being built, a new formed union and a new formed nation. See, that that flag meant more than just the idea that it was something cool, something we represent, but it was a new identity for the union of of a country. It was a new, it was a sign that said, this is new leadership, this is new values. These are now American values versus England values or French values or other countries, Spanish values that were all brought in from Europe. This was a, we're together, we're under one flag, one union, united together, fighting for one cause. And that's where the identity became for the soldiers as they were fighting into the battle of freedom. And so what they, 
by doing that, it unionized all these soldiers and they were able to fight together. We're fighting for one cause together. We're not fighting for South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Maryland, right? It, we were fighting for a United States. It was 13 groups that got together that were individuals that came together to fight for one country under one flag. And so it was a total mindset change of what it was. Uh, in 1916, President Woodrow Wilson established June 14th as the flag day, an anniversary of it, in honor of that idea. The flag has been flown all over the place, right? Everywhere around the world, you can see an American flag because we've had touches everywhere in the world where we have made some kind of impact as a country. But what does this have to do with us? More so than just Americans, right? I mean, that's what we are. We're at our core. We're Americans. We're Okies. Um, we call it spark, sparkites, spark, what do we call, what do we call people in sparks call? Not sparkies, that's a, that's a old Awanis word, but, but we all have this idea that we form by based on what flag we're under. Um, so if you look at me in Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, let me read something to you real quick and then we'll, we'll pray. It said, the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, join me in prayer real quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day that you gave us together. We thank you for allowing us to come together as a as a united body, Father, that can worship you, Father. Christians who unite under your name. I pray that we will use that blessing that you've given us, Father, through all your creation and through your love that you've given us, Father, and through Christ Jesus, that we will bless others and honor you with what words are spoken today, Father, and that your will will be provided to all of us, Father. We praise you and we love you. In your heavenly name, amen. So we see here God promised to make Abram a new nation, okay? But in order for him to be a new nation, he had to leave his old nation. He had to change who he associated with. He had to be set apart from the rest of the world that he knew. He had to make a complete different change in his lifestyle. It wasn't just go, go move over a little ways. He said, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave everybody around you, and I want you to go and make a new nation. I have something special for you. Um, and he said, I'm going to bless you when we do this. I'm going to give you blessings that you can't even imagine. I'm going to make you, your nation larger than any other nation around. Um, so he had to leave his old life to follow his new God. See, Abraham, Abram in the time back then, they weren't monotheistic. Abram is really the first monotheistic leader in, our, in the world. One of the few people that just followed one God. He made the choice to follow God. God chose him as somebody special to make a nation out of. It wasn't that he went and chose everybody at this time. He chose Abram. I want to make you a special person, you a special nation, but I need you to leave your old lifestyle behind. I need you to change something about yourself. If you will follow me, I will make you this nation. And that probably wasn't an easy thing to do. I know when I left 
um, Oklahoma to go to New Orleans. I left my family, I left my friends, I left a good job to go to school where there was a lot of unknowns. I didn't know anybody in town other than the people I was taking with me. That's a hard thing to do. And I just imagine for Abram to pack up all his stuff, take a few of his family members, and then move to wherever God led him. God didn't say, I'm going to take you here and set you here. God said, I'm going to take you somewhere. Just follow me. And so but he wanted to make him a brand new nation. Then we can look at Exodus 12, verse 31. And we're going to move a little bit farther on in this nation that God created. Um, if you recall, after Abram moved and he had family and his finally had children, a child and it moved on its way down, um, they ended up in Egypt for 400 years as a, as a family. But that nation that promised was Abraham was still growing, even if it was in slavery at the time. So in Exodus, 31, Exodus um, 12, 31, says, He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get up, leave my people, both you and, and the Israelites. Go and worship Yahweh as you have asked. Even take your flocks and your herds as you asked and leave and also bless me. He said, Moses, I want you to get up and I want you to leave. And I want you to leave Egypt and I want you to go. Okay. Here he was. What, so he asked Abram to leave his old lifestyle. He's asking the Egyptian, uh, not the Egyptians, the Israelites to leave their lifestyle. Okay. Their lifestyle is slavery. They're in bondage. And after it goes through all the 10 plagues, Pharaoh finally says, you can go leave. God said, I want you to take the people. I want you to leave that old way of life behind you. You are free from the slavery that you have been put in. You are free from the bondage that you are in. Get up and go. I will take you where you're going to go. I'll, I, the promised land is waiting for you. There's good waiting for you if you just get up and go and follow me. And you know, you think that'd be an easy thing to do. Slavery versus freedom. Which would you rather have, right? We'd rather have freedom. And they left, and they went out, and they followed originally. But over and over again, as they went through that time period, whenever a hard time came up, they asked for one thing, to go back to slavery. It was easier. We had food. We had water. We had a house. They always kept wanting to go back to that old way of life, even though it was slavery. We don't, we don't, none of us want to be put as slaves, do we? But we always want to go back to that old way of life, that old nature that, that they had. And that's what the Israelites kept doing over and over again. As we look through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we continually see the Egyptians, not the, the Israelites, complain about wanting to go back to slavery. Even though they had God that was providing for them. Every time they had the complaint, God, we don't have water. The water's not good. Look over here. There's water waiting for you. God, we don't have food. Well, let me give you food. And he fed them every day. That food's not good enough, God. I want some, I want some meat. Okay. So God gave them meat. And they kept complaining and complaining and complaining. One of the, there's a passage in Numbers where, they, where God finally got tired of their complaining. And God said, I'm done. So he sent snakes out of the fire. That they were all camped by and started biting it. They started biting everybody, and everybody kept dying. It's like, I'm done with this. I'm done with your complaining. I'm done with your whining. You want, 
You want bad, I'll give you bad. I'll let you go back to whatever you want. You want to go back to slavery? We can work that out if you want. And the Indians up letting him go back in this bondage several times throughout the history of Egypt. But in this particular story where, the, where he sent the serpents out, they went to Moses and they started complaining again, like, we're dying, Moses, what can we do? So God gave him a plan. He said, Moses, go make a bronze serpent and raise it up. And tell the people when they get bit by a snake, all they have to do is look up at that bronze serpent and they'll be healed. Josh, that seems crazy, right? The, the, just to think about the idea that all we have to do is look up at the bronze serpent and that would heal us from a snake bite. You know, he didn't say go to the doctor. He didn't say cut the wound, do anything to it. He just said look up at the serpent, have faith in it. We can learn a lot from the, from the Israelites and their complaining and what we shouldn't do. And we, we forget those things sometimes. And we look down on them at times also. Like, well, how hard could it be to remember that, that they were in slavery? Why would they want to go back to that? But you know, many of us do the exact same thing. We get drawn out of an old lifestyle, an old habit that wasn't good for us. And we still crave to go back to that old habit. So let's look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16, 16 through 21. And this is Paul talking to the church of Corinth. The, um, Corinth. Paul tells us, from now on then, we do not know anyone in purely human way, even if we have known Christ in a purely human way. Yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Everything from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when we obtain salvation and we turn our lives over to Christ, we become a new creation. We are no longer that old person that was before. In John 3, 14, uh, John 3, 14 and 15, it says, Just as the serpent was lifted, lifted up in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted high. Okay, Referring back to that passage I talked about numbers where the snakes came out, just as that serpent was lifted high, so must the Son of Man or Jesus be lifted high. And the parallel to that in this part, that's probably my favorite passage in the Bible is those two verses. Because it's talking about how easy it is to obtain salvation. Just like, the, just like the Israelites didn't have to go and do anything to address their wounds, all they do is have faith that that was going to save them. We don't have to make changes in our life to become a new creation. We become a new creation and then we allow God to change us. However, 
Many of us, once we become a new creation, we still crave that old lifestyle. We crave those old addictions. We crave those old feelings, those wants, those things that we had. Okay? And so, through salvation, we get to change of allegiance, change our allegiance to something. Just like when they created that new flag on June 14th, they changed their allegiance from England to America. When we obtain salvation, we change, us, change our allegiance from our old sinful self to our new godly self. And just like you don't want to go back from being an American, back to being an English person, we don't want to go back to being that old self. I have a friend who I worked with. He was a soccer coach at a college I worked at. He was born in a foreign country. And he moved to America when he was middle school. I'm not sure the exact age he was. But while I knew him then, when I was working with him, he put on Facebook one day. He didn't tell anybody he was doing it. He just put on Facebook, and he became a citizen in the United States. And what he did when he did that, he went and they met in a room, and he raised his right hand and said, I, I pledge allegiance to the United States of America. He left his old country to become an American. He turned, his, he turned away from all the rights that he had with that country to have the rights as American. He didn't want to go back to what he had. He wanted what he has now. And so that's kind of a picture of what we do when we get saved. We change our allegiance. We put on that new flag. Second thing it talks about in this passage is we're ambassadors for Christ. And so to understand that passage, we have to understand what an ambassador is. And many of us probably know that, but I'm going to say it just in case somebody doesn't. Okay, ambassadors for other foreign countries. So we, throughout our entire country, we have different ambassadors that live in our country. They have their own house. They fight, and, they, and that house is not American soil. So where they live at is whatever country they are. So if there's a French ambassador, the land they live on, that's France. It's not American soil. That's French soil. And they have the rights as a French person. They're not as an American. When they drive their car around, their car has French flags on it because they're in France, wherever they're at. They don't follow the American rules. They follow French rules. They're an ambassador to the United States. And we give them special privileges as an ambassador in our country. And they have special rights because of that. And what Paul's saying here is we are ambassadors to the world that we live in. We are more than Americans. We are more than Okies. We are ambassadors of Christ in this world. We don't represent the world anymore. When we obtain salvation, we no longer represent that old sinful self, the worldly self. Now we represent Christ and God through Christ. So everything we do should be a reflection upon Christ. So our or ambassadorship. So if I'm, a, if I'm the French ambassador and I come to America, when, I, when I'm talking, I'm speaking for the country of France. When I'm in meetings, I'm speaking for the country of France. I'm not speaking just for myself. I'm speaking for France. As a Christian, I'm not just speaking for myself. I'm speaking for God who loves everyone around us. My actions reflect not on, just on me, but on God and my fellow Christians. 
If the French ambassador comes in and he does evil, horrible things in America, that, that's a reflection upon his whole country and he's shamed in his country. As Christians, do we have that same thought process as we go through our days? Are we, are we representing Christ in every action that we do, in everything that we do? When we speak, are we speaking for Christ or are we speaking for that old sinful self, that old nature? Is Christ's love overflowing out of us that we can give to others? Are we a positive light in the, with the people we meet with because God's leaning on us? So, as Christians, we, have, we do work. And I want to be very careful in how I say this because it can be misconstrued, right? So, we are saved by faith through grace. God saves us through the faith. It's not by works that we, that we obtain salvation. So, I want to make sure that's clear. That there's nothing we can do to make our relationship with God better. But where do works stand at in that, in that manner then? So a pastor friend of mine that I've heard speak and multiple times, he talks about there's two types of grace. There's vertical grace, which is the grace that God gives me, and that points that it's a vertical line between me and God. That line, once I'm saved, is connected. There's nothing I can do to make that line stronger or weaker because God loves me and God's chosen me in that moment to save me. And there's nothing I can do to affect that line. And Paul talks about we can still continue sinning and grace becomes greater, right? Um, and so the more I sin, the better that, the, just it multiplies how much grace I'm given because I do more bad, right? Which doesn't really make sense because we shouldn't want to do bad when we have God's grace and God's living us. But however, what can happen is if I'm not doing what God wants me to do, what's affected is my horizontal grace. The grace that I show other people around me that should hopefully point them back to God. That's where our works are important. It's, it's that, not the vertical relationship with God, but it's our horizontal relationships that need that grace that God shows, that overflowing of us that falls down on the people around us and they can see God through us. Then their relationships can be stronger. Those are the relationships we want to make sure we're not hindering. We want to keep our relationship with God strong. We want to spend time with Him. But if all we do is just keep our, our own relationship with God and that's all we care about and we're mean and nasty or sinful in our daily lives and we're not trustworthy and we're not able to be relied upon, those are being a bad ambassador for Christ, right? If we're not doing what God wants to do, if we're not speaking the truth that God wants, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me except for the Father. If we're not speaking his way, his truth, and his life, then we're not being an ambassador for Christ. Now, some of us, hopefully we all have salvation. Some of us may not. Okay? Romans 3.23 says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. We all do bad things. Uh, if you're like me, you probably do something on a daily basis that falls short of God's glory. And we have to understand that the wages of those sins, the penalty of those sins is death. And that not, not necessarily the physical death, even though that's what causes our physical death, is the original sin from Adam, right? So 
our sin causes us a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, but ultimately it, it results in eternal death. But there's a new hope, okay? God gives us hope. He, gave, he demonstrated that his love for us, that while we were still sinners, he died. He showed, sent Christ to die for us, that we might have new life. I think that's very important. He demonstrated that while we were still sinning, while we were still doing bad, while we were doing all the bad stuff, 2,000 years ago, he knew who we were going to be today. We were going to be evil. We were going to do sin. We were going to spit on his face. We were going to do all the bad things. And while we were still that person, God sent his son to die for us. And that's true love from God. That even though we were evil, God showed us love. Do we do that for our fellow neighbors? For our fellow other people in the world, our other countries, even the, even the most evil, vile people you can think of? Do you demonstrate your love for them that while they're still sinners, you're willing to share the gospel with them and give them God's love and grace and mercy as he gave us, knowing that we are horrible people? Do we stand up for God's word in that way to the people that are around us, the, the people that we look down upon in our daily lives that maybe don't have as well off as we are? Maybe they, maybe they slap us in the face all the time. They're mean to us. They yell at us. They curse us. They tell us we're all kinds of bad things. Are we willing to stand up for them and say, I love you. I'll help you with whatever you need. Would you be willing to lay your life down for that person that they might have life? In Romans 6.23, it also says, but the gift of God is eternal life. So the first part of Romans 6.23, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So how do we take that gift that God's giving us? What does that mean? Well, Romans 10.9-10 says, If we declare with our mouth, Jesus Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, your heart will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now it's more than just a prayer. It's more than just saying a few magical words. It's about turning our allegiance from that old self to the new self. It's about saying, I no longer want to live this lifestyle. I want to repent of this lifestyle. I want to turn and I want to follow God. I want to... Be an ambassador for Christ. I want everything I do in my life to be about Christ living through me. I want his grace to overflow so much that the people around me are affected by it. I want the people around me to say, that guy is just crazy. He talks too much about Jesus. He talks too much about the good things God's doing for him. He talks too much about how God loves us. He loves people that he shouldn't love. I mean, that, guy, that person wasn't doing right to him, but he still loves them. He still helps that person out, even though he's mistreated him all this time. So it's more than just saying a prayer. It's about living a lifestyle that God calls you to do. It's honoring him in everything that you do and choosing to do that. That part's not easy. That takes a daily commitment. 
I think of it like um, in my marriage. Love is, is more than a feeling, right? It's a choice. It's a daily choice. I have to stand, I have to say every day that I love my wife. I love my wife. I love my wife. Because she's going to do things that I don't like sometimes. And we're going to have fights. But a daily choice, I get to say, I love you no matter what. And so on a daily choice, we have to choose to love people around us. Because we get to make that choice. We get to choose to forgive people that hurt us. Just as Christ, cho God chose to forgive us of our sins even though we were still sinners. He chose that 2,000 years ago to die on the cross for my sins and for yours also, even before we had a choice in the matter. He'd already forgiven that we were going to make the mistakes. So as we look at this new creation, there's three steps, there's three phases of it once we, once we come to know Christ. There's justification. That's that initial moment when, when God saves us and he says, the penalty has been paid for what you've done. You are no longer bound to death because now you have eternal life. Your sin has been paid for. It's covered. So that's justification. That means you just, you don't have to worry about it. And then the second phase is sanctification. That's the process that God's going to walk us through for the rest of our lives because we're never going to be fully sanctified until we get to heaven, right? We're always going to keep making mistakes. We're going to keep doing different things and, we're, and God's going to lead us in new, new areas that we have to confess that we've been doing wrong. I talked with one of our da my daughters the other day. They, she was like, how do I go through all this? What, how do I know when I'm going to be fully sanctified? When is it going to be? And the truth is we're not because God doesn't reveal all our sins to us right now. He doesn't reveal all the wrong that we're doing in our lives at that at could you imagine if God did that the first day you got saved? Said, These are all the things I want you to change. That's a lie. Right? So what he does is he picks out things that you can handle at the moment and says, I want you to learn this lesson right now. I want you to turn this part of your life over to me. The lessons I had to learn as a teenager and as an early, early adult are way different than the lessons I'm learning now as a parent and as, a, as somebody who's working and doing a lot of other things. And just as in 10 years, the lessons are going to be totally different than I'm learning now. But God's going to com com continue to work inside of me, continue to change things that need to be changed, to sanctify me, to make me a better person, so that I can be a better ambassador for him, so I can speak stronger for him, so I can give him the glory. And then the third phase is glorification. Okay, that's when we get to go to glory. We've been, we've been justified. We've been, we've been working through that process of sanctification. But then when we die and we get to go to heaven, that's called glorification. We get to go spend eternity with the God who chose to forgive us, with the God who chose to save us from our sins, even though we did not deserve it. Because none of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve to get to go to heaven. We just get to go because God chose to send us. He chose to allow us for the option to be forgiven of the sins that we have. So as we go forward, I pray that each of us will take these words to heart. That we will remember that we're not just people in a community. That we don't just live here. We don't just go about our day. 
But remember that we're ambassadors for the God who saved us. Everything we do reflects upon God. When you say you're a Christian, there's more to it than just being a name. It's a reflection upon God. There's a, I, have a, I have a friend one time who was telling me he, he was looking at all the different news and he sees all these Christian plumbers and he sees all these Christian electric, electricians and all these Christian businesses say, well, Christian owned. And his response to that is, when I get a plumber, I want somebody who's a good plumber. I don't just look for a plumber because they're a Christian. Now, if you can be a great Christian plumber, now you're reflecting upon God as a plumber. But if you're a bad Christian plumber, then you reflect bad upon God as a plumber. And he'd rather you not have that name Christian on the, on the uh, vehicle, right? Some people use that name to get people to draw him in. It's like, hey, he's a Christian. He must be a good plumber. But then their work doesn't reflect what they are or is it supposed to be. It's easy to say, I am something. It's a lot harder to actually be what you say you are. Because you reflect upon God who's there for you. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this beautiful day that you gave us. We thank you for allowing us to come together just to worship you, Father. Father, I pray that, that we will just be great ambassadors for you, that everything we say and do will reflect positively towards you that we won't be caught up in trying to be back in that old self father but just living that new life that you've given us that freedom from sin keep us hoping for that father keep justifying sanctifying us as we work our way towards you father you have the glory in the heaven father we praise you and we love you in your heavenly name amen